Father, we just thank you for this evening. And we do want to lift up Mark and his mom. And we would just pray that you continue to give Mark strength and, and keep him healthy. Lord, if it just uh, just heal his mom, all that she's been going through and, and the frustrations and not being at home. And so we would just pray that you comfort her and heal her. Lord, we just pray you watch over Bob and Jeannie and just uh, everything that's going on there that um, you give them strength. And I know it's just been going on for several months, and so we would just pray for healing there also. Lord, we just thank and praise you, and we just lift uh, Dustin up, that you just find the the right job. We just know you have it out there for him. And, Lord, that uh, we know that you will supply all his needs during this time and that you will just find the right location for him to be. So be with us tonight. As we look at this, as we look at some scripture, and we would just pray that um, we just learn from this and just know from you what you would have us to do. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And I did want to notice the Refresh magazine that's back there in the foyer. They do have an article this month on fighting trafficking, and it is based on the Point Loma um, Point Loma study that they did over the last two years, and they, they talk about that, but it's a well-written article. Um, they did a really nice job, so I just thought I'd point it out if you want to take a look at it and see. Um, so as we get started, describe the personality of your church as you would to someone who's never attended here. If someone asks you about your church, how would you describe it? And just pretend Bill's not here. <laughs> a lot of friendly, family. Anything else? Never been here before. Okay, amen. Yeah. And that's usually what I say, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So, uh, it's just a little bit of a review. At-risk populations. Um, All youth has some vulnerability. And we know that they're growing up. And if any of you have raised teenagers, you know there's that period in there that there's always vulnerability. That, you know, it's... I mean, like I said, I cannot even tell you if I responded properly in every situation in dealing with my kids. Um, and that's, that's on me. That's on me. But as I've gotten older, I look back on those and it's like, gee, I wish I'd have done this or I wish I had done that. But, you know, uh, it is what it is. Um, foster kids are a big target for trafficking, depending on the type of foster home they're in. Uh, This is not an indictment on all foster homes, uh, but there are foster homes that does have a tendency to be a problem. Runaways, for whatever reason, they're running away. Um, Homeless, homeless teens. Uh, I know Father Joe's has a whole section at uh, St. Vincent de Paul that takes care of homeless teens. Uh, they, get them their college, they get them their high school education through classes and different stuff. They're completely separate from 
from the other part, and uh, pregnant teens uh, are a big target because they're not, you know, if they run away because they've gotten pregnant, they don't think they're going to be accepted back at home. Um, And the question is, will the above find hope in us or the church? Um, To me, that's always a big question. We looked down, I know the first week we talked about the woman at the well. And, you know, Jesus basically told her, you know, walked her through and actually realized what her sin was, but told her to go and sin no more. And that is something that we need to do when working with individuals and talking to them is, you know, we can show them grace. It doesn't mean that we excuse their sin, but there's a proper way to approach it and talk to them because many of these kids, if they're looking for help, the last thing they need is more condemnation. They need to see the love first. And then we can walk them through and hopefully show them that there is hope in Jesus Christ and walk them through that so that they can see that. Um, Sunday morning when we talked about the prodigal son and how he came back to his father, he confessed his sin, he came back, he was humble. And his father was faithful to forgive him and restore him to the family. And that's what we should want, is to restore them to the family. So why don't we look at the first video, please. Steve? Grace, hope, and fatherhood. Creating a redemptive culture that inspires hope. The dictionary defines empathy as the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. What if, let's think the unthinkable. What if it happened to you? Whether through your own naivete or foolishness, what if you were trafficked and then survived? How would you feel? You probably would feel shame, guilt, self-reproach, anger, numbness, vengeful, hopeless. These feelings are normal. How would you feel about the future? You might find it hard to believe that life could ever be good again. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John 10.10 Jesus does not say, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full unless you've been trafficked. Being trafficked, however, does present certain challenges, as does surviving any abuse or trauma. Consider Joseph's story in Genesis 37-50. through Joseph was trafficked sold into slavery by his own family, his own brothers. He suffered for 13 years. Joseph, however, models an important quality. He found a way to reframe his suffering after being reunited with his family. He tells his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Genesis 50:20 Reframing suffering is important for survivors of abuse and trauma. Following suffering, it's important to believe there's hope. But how? The church can help. Here are 7 principles for creating a redemptive community that helps survivors to reframe their suffering and find hope. Principle number 1 Accept people where they're at. 
Paul writes, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, Romans 15, 7. Start by accepting survivors where they're at, not where you want them to be. Principle number two, provide structure and support to help people reach their potential. The church must be a caring community where meaningful relationships are established and needs are met in ministry. Principle number three, realize that some people will always walk with a limp. Consider the story of Jacob, Joseph's father. He was a man of dubious integrity. He tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright and fled. Years later, Jacob returned to his homeland to see his brother Esau. On the eve of their reunion, Jacob spent the night wrestling with God. His experience left him with a permanent limp. It's true, some injuries can leave us with a permanent limp. The writer of Hebrews says, So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Hebrews 12, 12, 13, NLT. Injuries must be strengthened even when a limp remains. Principle number four, get outside help when needed. Redemptive churches know when to get professional help in ministering to others. Redemptive churches know when to consult counselors with expertise in helping survivors of abuse and trauma. And redemptive churches know when to offer assistance in paying for counseling. Principle number five, show compassion and be long-suffering. Some survivors can be challenging to love. The dictionary says that long-suffering is patiently enduring, patient and enduring in the face of suffering or difficulty. You have not been long-suffering until you have suffered long with those who are challenging to love. Principle number six, teach responsibility and maintain boundaries. Paul writes, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For each one should carry their own load. Galatians 6, 2, 5. Healthy churches understand the difference between helping others and enabling them. Principle number seven. Train families to be redemptive havens. Families can be havens of hope. Children may hurt or disappoint parents through their own carelessness or foolishness. Parents must refuse to make their hurt or disappointment the central feature of their relationship with their children if they want to guide them into recovery. Redemptive churches help parents deal with their own pain and equip them to bring hope to their children. Touched on Joseph being sold into slavery. And from that, if you think about what we're, you know, what Joseph went through, and, and I'm assuming most of you know the story of Joseph and how he was sold into slavery. And, you know, as it goes, it says that, you know, while others meant it for bad, God turned it into something good, you know, because it ended up there was a famine and his family came there. And now we're at the other end of that where Pastor Bill's talking about Exodus and they're leaving Egypt. Um, but you know, they were saved. So what was meant for bad for Joseph, 
turned into good. And I would never want anyone to go through what some of these girls and some of these young boys are going through. But if we're able to reach out to them and show them that Jesus Christ is who they need to know, that that's their hope, that as they grow up in this, then they then can be a help to others that have gone through this because they understand, they can relate, they can know exactly what's going on and really talk, you know, be able to talk with the other girls or the other young men that I've been through this and this is how I was able to combat it, get out of it and make a better life for myself. And I think that, you know, many times God will take us through things that we can then minister into other people's lives. I think when we were a young couple, married, and, you know, you start trying to have kids, we had several miscarriages. I mean, several. And we thought, you know, there's, (laughs) I went and got tested and we just couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I don't know, Marjorie had six miscarriages seven and you know then all of a sudden Kristen we get you know we were pregnant with Kristen and born no complications no problems and then we had a miscarriage between Jonathan and Kristen uh, right around Christmas but that took us through and especially you know for for the for the mother to go through that is even more traumatic, but it puts you in a position that when you come up to someone, you can talk to them about that. You can reassure them, you know, because you have been through it. And it makes a, it, it just, I think God prepares us in those ways to be able to do that. And so I think what I always remember is the word is God takes us through that. He doesn't leave us alone. And that's what we need to encourage these young people to get caught up in sex trafficking sex trafficking when they get out of it we need to assure them that that god has a plan and that god has something special for them in their life you know when i read through joseph and i go through and i actually have taught joseph through college group uh back when I, my hair was brown and i had a 32 inch waist Um, And to me, it was one of the greatest examples for talking to these young people about, you know, life, life can bring a lot of challenges, but how Joseph handled those challenges, it's, to me, it's just amazing, you know, and how, you know, here, here's a, a man's wife throwing herself at him. And I mean, all of this and then blaming him and he goes to jail and he's done nothing wrong, but he takes it. And he turns it into a good thing. And God has watched over him the whole time. And it just gives a good opportunity. We were just talking before. And it's amazing how God always plans things out. And just something as simple, because uh, we were kind of joking about, gee, there aren't too many people here. I guess I scared them off telling them there were going to be two lessons tonight. And I learned a valuable lesson through that college group. And... There was a young man in the group that did not know Christ. And so here we drive all the way down to Benita from Santee, which is where we were. uh, We had the college group. A friend of ours was the the lead pastor there. And this one guy, he's the only one that showed up out of about 15 young people. And it's like, you know, that kind of hurts the ego a little bit. 
But we were able to talk to him and he asked questions that he would have never asked in front of all of those other kids. And then a few days later, we get a call. I don't know what time was it. About two in the morning. He had turned his life over to Christ. Now, that's exciting because, you know, I could have got all bent out of shape and it's like, this is ridiculous. Hey, I drive all the way down here. I prepare this lesson and these spoiled kids can't even show up for a lesson, right? But God had other plans. And, you know, all you can say about that is I'm glad God was in charge instead of me. And that's the response we need to these young people that get caught up in sex trafficking if we're, if we're involved with them. John 8, 2 through 11, cast the first stone. That's where, you know, they bring the woman and they throw him down in front of Jesus. And the question he asks is, who will, throw the, who will cast the first stone? She's lived a life of sin. But what does he tell her? You know, here they all get up and they leave. And I've heard different messages about how Jesus bends down and he writes in the dirt. And people have a lot of speculation about what that meant. But the one thing is they all do leave. Because none of us are without sin. And then he tells us, go and leave your life of sin. How many here have never messed up? You know, exactly. I mean, I think about a time that, uh, in fact, it was my brother's, my brother's wedding. We were at the reception and I got bored and I think I was, I was 16 because I was old enough to drive. And I took the car out because I was bored and I was driving around the parking lot and stuff. Well, guess what? There was this one spot that there was no lights or anything. I mean, I had lights on, but it was too late. There was a steel cable stretched across one part of the parking lot. Well, I was able to hide it that night, but the next morning I had to get up and tell my parents that, um, can you come out in the garage? I want to show you something. I was so afraid. I was so afraid. But you know what? My parents actually took it pretty well because I was the fourth kid. So by this time, I think they had learned a lot of grace. And uh, I did have to pay for it. I mean, I, I had to pay for at least the deductible. And uh, taught me a valuable lesson. But the other thing it taught me was that my parents love me no matter what. And uh, although my mom does still remind me quite a bit these days, you know, when I say, you know, I can't believe what the kids did. And she goes, just look in the mirror. So moms will keep you humble. Jesus impacted culture. I mean, we see it today. I mean, look, just look at Christianity today and the impact that it's had on the world. And we can even have a bigger impact, you know, through Jesus Christ than what we've seen today. So how do we respond? That's, that's always my question. How do we respond? I mean, we've all messed up. We all want to be, we don't want to be put in a position that we're being judged or put down. At least I don't. It um, kind of kind of takes the wind out of your sails, and so the question is, 
Can you be empathetic towards others when they've made a mess of their life, basically? You know, they, especially when they've come to the realization they know they've made a mess of their life. And what they need is help. You know, what they need is understanding. And that's what I would like to be able to do. And, I, and as I've gotten older, I'm better at this. I can't say I was that good at it when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at this. To be able to sit down with someone and talk through them and pray with them, you know, about things that's happened in their life or my life. Be very open and transparent with someone of some of the things that I've gone through in my life. Because uh, when I look back, I'm amazed sometimes that I'm still here. And, you know, I thank God that I am. So, do, can you have empathy towards others when they have made a mess of their lives through poor choices? And I think in some ways we've all made poor choices along life. What are some reasons young people entertain putting themselves at risk of being trafficked? We've discussed some of them. What are some of the things that we've discussed? I'm sorry? Unloved? Steve? Abuse? It could be abuse, yeah, depending on the home and, and the environment. And it doesn't always have to be physical abuse. It's just, you know, it can be mental abuse. Um, and things that happen. What else? What are some other things? Peer pressure? Definitely. Uh, maybe there's been a, a parent, you know, that's passed away in the family, you know, and so, you know, they were really close to them. So they, they felt that, that loss and can't recoup. Um, drug addiction? Yeah, it's, it's so prevalent today. Money, yeah. Yeah, I think of the kid, um, what do they call it, affluenza? Is that what they called it? Yeah. Yeah. But entitlement, I mean, I think I, I was really, I refrained, I really refrained myself the last couple of days just because going to the thing yesterday and everything, and I read about these kids at places like Princeton and Yale and, you know, just what they think their problems are. And then I, you know read these stories about these girls or going down yesterday and talking to Homeland Security and stuff. And it's like, you don't have any idea, you know, what you really don't have any idea what's going on in the world. You know, that you're this little microcosm. You think somebody looked at you the wrong way or something. And now you need to, to file a complaint with the Dean of students. And I mean, it just, it's frustrating. And, um, so, what are some other reasons? Poor, well, yeah, because everybody is so into materialism, you know, you go, especially going to school these days, you've got to have the right clothes or you've got to have the right phone or whatever it may be. And if you don't have all that, then, you know, you're being in a position that, you know, you feel degraded or, you know, that... Gee, I'm not as good as them because I don't have all of that. Why is expressing judgment and condemnation ineffective? Yeah. 
yeah, I would think especially teenagers. It just my dad used to have a my dad used to have a phrase, and unfortunately, I picked it up too. And it's called "I can't have nothing." You know, it's like we would break something, and it's like I can't have nothing. You know, it's because because of all these kids, I can't. You know, and it, it for some reason it stuck with me, and I caught myself one day using that with my daughter, and it would just. I wanted to bite the end of my tongue off because I realized I was really being judgmental that, you know, she's still growing. She's still learning. She's still maturing. And, you know, she's she's a bright young lady. But you know what? They mess up. And I still mess up. It's just I have Marjorie to correct me. So keep me on track. Or the kids. Yes. Yes. The kids do today. I was I was. I don't remember where we were coming back from, but Jonathan was with me and we were on 52 and the traffic started backing up and there was no reason for it. And I was kind of grumbling a little bit about it and I looked down and that's when I had a Blackberry and he goes, maybe traffic's backing up because they're looking at their Blackberries. (laughs) Okay, point well taken. Um, So they, they will give it back to you, but... Condemnation. I mean, you have to break through first and really get them to where they will listen to you. And if you're being judgmental or condemning, they'll tune you out. I think the average person would condemn you out or tune you out. And um, it just, it makes a big difference. I know with individuals, and that's why it's important to, you know, to me to have accountability partners, people that you can really trust that when you screw up, they have the freedom to come up to you and tell you you're screwing up. It helps you be accountable for things that are going on. It's got, you know, but it's you know, correcting you with love and so that, they, you know, that you know you're headed down the wrong path. And I think as you begin to build a relationship with people, you can do that. Um, but many times you have to ask permission. And I think... With the young girls and the young guys that get caught up in this, the last thing they need is condemnation or judgment because they're already getting that from pimps and uh, other areas of their life. They may be on drugs because the pimp wants to keep them in the lifestyle. So if I keep you on drugs, then I can keep you in the lifestyle because you need me to give you your drugs. How can we see Joseph as an example? All that Joseph went through, how can we see him as an example? Okay. Did you have your hand up? Grace? Yeah, because you think about it when his brothers, you know, when his brothers did come back and they're sitting around having dinner and all of that. I mean, Joseph could have sought revenge, but he didn't, you know, he didn't. And that is that is just such a prime example of of showing, you know, everything was in God's hands. You know, he. He basically left it up to God to take care of. And he realized God had a purpose for his life. And that purpose was to save his family, you know, going forward. And um, how can we respond as a church? You know, if, if someone, if, let's just say a young lady was 14 years old 
And she was able to, she walked through there and she's wearing a halter top and a mini skirt and high heels. What is the response? Because to me, if she's walking through that door, she's looking for something. What is our response? What is my response? You know, is it initially, you know, condemnation or judgment? Or do I want to sit down and talk to her and find out more? And find out, why are you here? Because I just, I think if she walks through that door, there's a reason. And we need to get to know and find out what that reason is and see what help they need. Would you agree that love isn't necessarily giving people what they want, but what they need? And why is that important? You can enable them. And I think we actually touched on some of that with the materialism and stuff is that, you know, your kids come to you and they say, oh, you know, I need that $100 pair of jeans. I need, I need that new iPhone 87 or whatever number they're up to now. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's such a throwaway society, or throwaway society today. I mean, between um, everything that we have and we even, our kids sometimes even seem to be throwaways. Uh, when you see some of the news stories and the things that go on and you, you wonder, how can you do that? Um, but it's true. You know, it's, uh, our kids did not have a $100 pair of jeans. One is I couldn't afford to buy them a $100 pair of jeans. But they, they didn't need them. You know, they needed good, clean clothes to be able to go to school and do what they need to do. And as parents, we need to set those limits. Why are victims more prone to focus on assigning fault and blame instead of responsibility? That's basically they're looking at themselves. Why, why do the victims focus on placing blame or fault? It's easy and I think we kind of, I mean, I think even ourselves sometimes we, we do that. You know, it's like, oh, well, that happened because I'm such a bad person or, you know, it just whatever. And it's like, I'm in this position because it's my fault. You know, I did this. And so whatever comes to me, I deserve. And basically, it's just easy to blame somebody. I mean, it's almost it's almost like we have to guard ourselves, too, because isn't it always sometimes easier to gossip? You know, because it's just you really have to guard yourself. It just kind of. Somebody says something and it's like, oh, I got to run over here and tell someone else. And we shouldn't. And finding fault is just easy. I mean, even I think sometimes it's easier to find fault in other people or those around us than it is to find the good things. And um, I know someone sometimes asks me, you know, it's, it's like, how have you stayed married for 35 years? And it's one of the things is, I've not been one of those individuals that when when I'm a group of guys, I put my wife down. I think that's one of the worst things you can do. You know, it's that this is someone that you married, that you shared your life with. And basically, why would you do that? And, you know, being working in, in some of the jobs that I've had, I never understood why guys would do that, why they would sit around with a bunch of other guys and put their wives down. I mean, I don't know, did it make you a bigger person or, or make you feel better? 
And that's what we shouldn't do with, with these young people that we should not put them down. We need to find a way to build them up. And, you know, part of that is always showing grace, but walking them through and leading them to Christ, helping them to understand. Now they have a decision make to make once you do that. They need to understand, you know, you've been presented with this, with this hope. Let's talk about this and what the decision is going to be. Um, this is going to be focusing kind of on fathers and reducing vulnerability. I kind of look at it as parents because I realize today that in society we have single parent homes for one reason or the other. And it is just a fact of culture today. So fathers or parents, what makes a good parent? Love. Good example. Christ-centered. Discipline. Being available to your children. Teaching. Yes. Teaching. Pardon me? Communication. This is something I pulled. Do um, you know who Max Licato is? Pulled this out. Basically, it's a child's letter to God. It says, Dear God, thanks for giving me a daddy. You knew just what I need. In case you need to make daddies for other kids, I thought you might like to know what I like best about the one you sent me. A good dad knows everything, like how to tie shoes and drive a car, is really smart. He even knows where the wind goes after it blows through the trees. He has a forgiving heart for when I mess up, is loaded with patience, patience, patience. He probably won't need it, but just in case. Has a comfy lap and a big laugh, and you understand about that, don't you? Tell me all about you and tells me all about you and your son, your friend, a kid. P.S. I almost left out the best part. A good dad has real strong arms to catch me when I fall. He says, you're a lot like that too. And I think that's what we have to be is, you know, especially as parents, whether you're a single parent or, you know, there's two parents in the home, um, that we have real strong arms and can catch them when they fall. Because we know growing up, kids are going to fall. And depending on how we respond depends on, you know, how, they, how it will mold them going forward. So just to go back a little, one out of three children live in homes where the biological father is absent. Um, we see behavioral issues, emotional issues, and promiscuous and really, no matter what stage your family, what stage your family's in, you really need to commit to God. That's whether it's a single parent home or two parent home, you really need to commit it to God, and it will make it will make a difference. It's no guarantee that your kids are going to know grow up to know Christ, but I think they stand a better chance that if we do what we're supposed to do and tell them, and share with them, pray with them, um, 
I think, Steve, you said it, that we're supposed to um, basically imitate. I mean, we should imitate or show them by example what we should be doing. Um, Because trust me, they definitely, and I think most of you that are parents can testify to this, they look at more what you do than what you say. My son reminds me of that all the time. So he's probably my best barometer because <laughs> he keeps me on my toes. So so how does the sex trafficker find his victim? This is just a small example, and I thought this was really interesting. Go to the mall, okay? Been to Parkway Plaza lately? What's there? A ton of teenagers, Spots a young girl. Says, you have beautiful eyes. So her response is one of two things. Girl smiles and says, thank you. Or girl looks down and says, no, I don't. That's his target. She's vulnerable because she does not think She has beautiful eyes. She doesn't think she's beautiful. This is the one. She's vulnerable because she doesn't see her beauty. But in Psalm 139, it says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this full well. And that's the message we need to get across to these young ladies, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. They are not cheap that they really are valuable and we need to help them understand that and opal will go through more on this on one how to spot it and different things like that and and the training that she gives other organizations and stuff to be able to help these young girls but i found it kind of interesting as several years ago josh mcdowell wrote a book well didn't really write a book he actually had teenagers write surveys that they sent in, uh, that they sent in to him from all over the United States. And it was interesting to him what some of the teenagers had to say. And I think it helps us as parents that we look at some of this. And these are, these are from right from the kids' surveys. I wish that my parents could be more caring. Because sometimes when I'm upset, they don't act like they care. They think it's just no big deal. But sometimes I'm really hurting inside, and I can't count on them to care for me. And I think sometimes what happens is we get so involved, you know, with work and everything that's going on, that we do kind of, it's like, you know, they're teenagers now. They're kind of almost adults But I think many times that's where they really need our guidance is that because they're being, especially today, I mean, I would not want to be a high school student today. I just would not want to be a high school student today. I mean, I thought it was bad when I went to school, but I I know in talking to my kids going through high school, um, and it's, it's even more difficult now with everything that's going on and like things we talked about wearing the right clothes and having the right phone or the right tablet or you know all those different things that are that are needed there's just a lot of pressure and really being able to take the time to be able to talk to the kids 
and communicate. I think, Eric, you said it. Communication. Really listening. One primary, this is another one. This was from the survey. One primary reason for premarital sex has, has got to be insecurity. People all over the globe suffer from poor self-image. They long to be accepted and liked by those who interact with them. Sex provides some with a sense of security and a feeling of acceptance and gives them the assurance that they are liked and wanted. So if they're not loved at home, they're going to find love or what they think is love somewhere else. And that can begin to be kind of an avenue of entrapment, which we kind of looked at the first couple of weeks. Mom and dad, please show love to each other. Please talk to me. Please accept me when I fail. Make me feel important. Please make Christ the center of our home. Don't think I can handle everything alone. I may not say it, but I need you. And they don't always say it. I think we need to be sensitive enough to be able to... to tell when they need that and to be able to talk with them and to, and to communicate and i can't always say that i did that you know i probably did it more with my son than my daughter but you know it's i look back on it and again it's those things that i would have done this or i would have done that and but you know it helps me going forward or helps me talk with other young parents or parents that have teenagers and just, you know, begin to talk to them and show them from Scripture, you know, things that you need to be talking with your kids about. I love you. These three words were never used in our home. Now, again, these are teenagers that wrote in to Josh McDowell. He had, he had asked them to, to write these things to... Um, I would talk to my dad. He's too busy for me. And when we do talk, he doesn't listen or try to understand. And I think these are all things that we need to take in consideration because we're looking and we're wondering, how do these kids get trapped into this? And there's, there is no perfect formula as how, you know, some do because they're being abused at home. Some do because they think they're being neglected at home and they're looking for love somewhere else. And I think that's where we as a church can be positioned that we have the hope of Christ in us, that he loves us, that he is, you know, it's by his grace that we will spend eternity with him. And if we need to be that type of person, then we need to be that type of person to whoever walks through that door. Not necessarily excusing what they've done, but not condemning them, but showing them that Christ loves them, that he will forgive them. They just need to humble themselves, confess their sin, and know that he's faithful to forgive them. Steve, you Grace, Hope, and Fatherhood. Fathers and Reducing Vulnerability. Here's a quote worth noting. Sociologist David Popino writes, Fathers are far more than just second adults in the home. 
Involved fathers, especially biological fathers, bring positive benefits to their children that no other person is as likely to bring. It's true. Fathers are not the accessory parent, compared to mothers being the necessary parent. Both contribute to a child's well-being. Here's a word of caution. Never denigrate single or divorced parents. Many are doing a heroic job of raising their children. But we need to return to a biblical understanding of fatherlessness. God says, take up the cause of the fatherless, Isaiah 117. God cares for the fatherless because he knows their vulnerability. Fatherlessness has catastrophic effects on children, including diminished self-concept, difficulties with social adjustment, truancy and poor academic performance, delinquency and youth crime, promiscuity and teen pregnancy, drug and alcohol abuse, homelessness, exploitation and abuse, physical health problems, mental health disorders including depression, anxiety and suicide, unemployment and poverty as adults, marriage and relationship problems as adults, and increased mortality. Some have said fatherlessness is the most destructive trend of our generation. Why is fatherlessness so harmful? One word, vulnerability. Jenny Tyree writes, Girls and boys who grow up with a father are more familiar and secure with the curious world of men. Girls with involved married fathers are more likely to have healthier relationships with boys in adolescence and men in adulthood because they learn from their fathers how proper men act toward women. It's true. The mere presence of a father in the home protects children from predatory males. There's no guarantee a child won't fall prey to a predator, but the risk is minimized. Consider the message at the end of the Old Testament. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Strong families are the basic building block of society. Family provides children with important life lessons, an understanding of relationships, their basic beliefs, and preparation for the future. Moses says, Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Deuteronomy 6, 6, and 7. The Apostle Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. Solomon writes, Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. Proverbs 2.12 In other words, wisdom can save you from predators. What does this have to do with sexual exploitation? A lot. One psychologist writes, Girls manifest an object hunger for males, and in experiencing the emotional loss of their fathers egocentrically as a rejection of them, become susceptible to exploitation by adult men. He adds, fatherless children are at greater risk of suffering physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. 
Then he says, given the fact that these and other social problems correlate more strongly with fatherlessness than with any other factor, surpassing race, social class, and poverty, father absence may well be the most critical social issue of our time. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so do relationships. Fatherlessness leaves a vacuum where the pimp can step in. Opal Singleton reports, In most cases of teen exploitation, the number one reason victims gave for being lured in by the predator was they wanted to be loved, to be part of a family. What can dads do? Face your own fears and inadequacies about being a dad. Re-engage in family life, child-rearing, and the spiritual nurturing of your children. Surround yourself with other men who are doing a good job at being a dad. We read in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Proverbs 27.17 Pray. Pray for your kids. Pray for your spouse. Pray with your family. And pray that God will grant you wisdom. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. James 1.5 Hold the line. Being a dad is not a popularity contest. Run the risk of your child's displeasure. Refuse to trade your children's temporary disappointment in you for some long-term heartbreak for them. Grant grace. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32 Families need to practice this verse too, including fathers. Grant grace to your children when they fail, for that's when they need it most. I heard that term tonight. We talked about, you know, if you had to describe your church, you describe it as a family. Um, and, and that's what we are, whether we're two parents or one parent. And we should be able to, you know, build one another up and support. Um, we need to help single parents. You know, it's uh, don't always know why they're single parents. We don't know if the other spouse has passed away if there's been a divorce, whatever it may be. But we need to help single parents. They need help. I mean, you think about it as a two-parent family and you're raising kids, you know how hard it is. Can you imagine what it's like trying to raise it as one parent? Because you got to get up, you got to get them ready for school, you got to get them to school, you go off to work, you come home, you got to cook dinner, you got to help them with the homework, you got to get them into bed. And so we need to help single parents. Isaiah 117, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed and take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. James 127, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And, you know, it's, we say, you know, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. You know, we learn what God wants us to do, and we need to, we need to do that. That if, you know, if there's a single parent that needs help, um, then we need to take time to help. 
And I'm not saying that we don't do that, but I doesn't, it doesn't hurt to be reminded of it. That, you know, we're here to help one another, to build one another up. You know, and as a church, you know, we are family. We can take care of one another and help fill that gap where there's a parent missing. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And then in Ephesians, um, you know, we look at this and this is always talking about um, head of the household submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And a lot of times I think guys stop right there where it says wives submit to your husband. They don't, they seem to, I don't know if their Bibles have those other verses or they just seem to want to skip over them. Uh, but they're important. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He died for the church. He was sacrificed. And that's, what we, that's part of what we need to remember, that we should love our wives so much that he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Now, I don't know about most men, but do you love your wife as much as you love yourself? I mean, to me, it's an honest question. Um, that's why I say I would never talk bad about my wife to other guys. If I had a problem, I talked to Marjorie and she would set me straight. (laughs) But you know, it's in the way that, you know, Christ loved the church is the way that we're to love our wives. And if we model that with our kids, They're going to grow up with that and be more respectful. So in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And it talks about the love for the wife and how we're to, you know, how we're to treat her in relation to ourselves. And that is important. And then it talks about children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I used to read that to my kids, that you may have long life on the earth. But this is important. Father, do not ex- Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so we should not exasperate the kids. Stir up, arouse to anger, provoke, irritate, you know, incite. 
um, which can happen. And so we should be training them up in the way of the Lord. You know, whether you're a single parent or you have two parents in the home, there should be that, that daily time that we spend with them. I do remember, um, I should have gotten it because I still have it. It actually was a devotional that um, I had gotten. It was just for a father and son. And um, Jonathan and I, I he was probably like in fifth, fifth, sixth grade. We started going through that. And there would be times at night that I would forget. And he would actually get it and bring it in and say, hey, we need to do this. And, you know, and you stop and think. And it's like, that's what you want. You want them to be hungry for God's word. And um, I, I, I've kept that devotional all this time in the hopes that I will give it to him someday that he can use it. But that's what you want as you raise your kids. And you would hope that they would not stray from it. Uh, it's no guarantees, but you stand better chance that if you raise them up and teaching them and sharing Christ with them, that hopefully we would never have to worry about our kids being trapped in sex trafficking. Um, But we have to remember there's a lot of wolves out there and they're they're looking for those that they can take, that they can take and turn into to prostitutes. And that was something that I really thought was in talking yesterday with, with the lady from Homeland Security is she even said, you have to remember anybody that's under 18 did not volunteer to become a prostitute. They were either seduced into it, tricked into it, something, forced into it. Um, and so... If we stay close to them, if we build that relationship with our kids, then our hope is that they, one, the most important thing is they would make that decision to come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then the other is that then they can begin to grow and build up and they can affect those around them, whether it's at school or wherever it may be. Because... Sex traffickers are in the schools. We've talked about that the first couple of weeks. Uh, the bottom girls that they, that they get into schools. Uh, the boys that, you know, they lure the girls into it to basically, you know, just lavish all kinds of loves and gifts and all those things on them to draw them in because maybe they're not seeing that love at home that they can get what they think they're getting from him. And so... By raising them up and treating them by not, you know, by not stirring up arousing to anger. That doesn't mean we give them everything that they want. We give them what they need um, instead of what they want. Because if we give them what they want, they end up like the kid that now with affluenza. That still amazes me. I'm just uh, still flabbergasted that that's a defense in the courts. But you can see how spoiled that they can, when you give them everything they want instead of what they need. So a penny for your thoughts on kids, loving your kids, raising them in the family.
What if, what if I gave you a nickel for your thoughts now? <laughs> Yeah, you may have brothers and sisters. I have a, my youngest sister in Florida. Um, and Michael is, I think he's in ninth grade now. Yeah. Um, you know, we were back there. And, um, you know, we were able to, you know, make a connection with him. He, I wouldn't really call it a learning disability. I mean, things that he's really interested in, he just latches on to. But there's other things he can have no interest in whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, Marjorie was able to make a connection with him the last time we were there. He's just really involved in history. So you can take that and, and use that, you know, to be able to, to build a stronger relationship. And we're able to share that with my sister that, hey, this is something we've identified because she is a single mother. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. Um, many of us have adult children, but our adult children may have children that, you know, we can help influence. You know, there may be, you know, there may be, you, maybe your adult children are a single parent, you know, and you need to help them out. That's, you know, and part of that is helping them to understand and to help teach their kids about the Word of God and what, you know, what Christ means, what Christ can mean to them um, as, as they grow up. But we do, we need to support, you know, we need to support those single parents um, and give them love and basically help them wherever we can. I think scripture encourages us to do that. I mean, especially, like you say, you're a family and you see a need, you help with the need instead of expecting someone else to do it. You know, it's... Um, I may have told you this before, but I know the college group is uh, Brian and Cassidy. And we were talking about that, you know, that if you see a need, you know, here they had started dating and stuff. Of course, he'd like to take her to the movies. He'd like to take her out to dinner and, and all of that. And I said, Brian, I said, if, if somebody came up to you and they were having a hard time paying their electric bill um, and they just need 20 more dollars to pay that electric bill. But that $20 is what you were going to take Cassidy out to, to Olive Garden. Or not Olive Garden, you couldn't afford it for 20 bucks. But if you could take him out to Chipotle, you know, uh, what would you do with that $20? Would you give it to that person to help pay them electric bill because they really needed it? Or would you say, you know what, let me talk to somebody at church, see if we can get some money out of the church funds. Because I'll tell you, Brian would have felt much better if he'd reach into his pocket and hand her that 20 bucks so she could pay her electric bill. And that's what he answered with. He says, yes, I would give her that 20 bucks. And it actually was exciting. I was reading today as uh, Brian, um, Brian spoke today. They are in, um, where are they? They're in, I think he's in Idaho now. But he was speaking and he was to be um, ordained. So I thought that was exciting. He's, uh, he's been through school. He was in Chicago 
Uh, he's been to Washington, Utah, Illinois, and now he's in Idaho. But he was speaking and he was, he was to um, hopefully be ordained. I haven't heard the results. Um, but that's, when that need presents itself, I think that's something that we need to immediately decide. Do we take care of that need? Can I afford to take care of that need? If you can, I think we should. Or I should. And because I'm speaking to myself too. I'm not, you know, because this, this applies to me as much as it does to everyone else. Is that if you see a need and you can meet that need, I think God has put it in front of you for a reason. Any questions? Let's pray. Steve, would you pray please?